So today I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses uh, 67 through 80. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 54. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we would be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy he the promised to our ancestors. And has remembered his holy covenant. It's important that you remember this word. I'm coming back to it here in a little bit. Yeah. The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sin, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly Israel. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. So before we get into this, I, I want to I talk a little bit about why I'm making such a big deal about the word covenant. The covenant is, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, is the word chesed, which is H-E-S-E-D. Kind of a big deal. We only see it in places where God makes a promise to people, and as you have heard it from me a million times, God does not break promises. So when Zechariah is talking about this, he is connecting the dot between the Chesed covenant of grace, or the covenant between us, to today, or to them in the first century, that this is the fulfillment of that. And one of those is this conversation about someone coming to prepare the way of the Lord. Or the new Mashiach. So Zechariah, who happens to be a priest, saying this is saying there will become a prophet prior to the Mashiach or the Messiah. That's a big deal. And it just so happens to be his son. So now we can start. I think a lot of us, when we talk about Christmas... We want to look at what is a good Christmas. I think if we're being honest, <laughs> it's getting through the holidays with very minimal conflict. 
Most of us put aside all of our differences. Uh, we try to find ways of saying, well, we'll just, if we can just get through the holidays, right? You start to remember that family member uh, that comes to the, the meals that everybody recognizes as they walk in the door and they all think of what they're not supposed to say at the dinner table so that we don't set them off. How do we do these things? It's not the time for confrontation. I mean, let's be honest. It's really hard to sing Christmas carols through clenched teeth. Yet, John the Baptist exists as the gospel's necessary Advent precursor precisely, and his job is to confront us. To bring us into conflict with our own selves. To clench our teeth just a bit so that we might just repent, change our lives, center ourselves on the holiness of God that invaded the world when Jesus visited this planet. Now, I, I think you're just going to get kind of sick of it, but too bad. Zechariah makes a hymn here at the end of chapter 1. The writing in the style is a hymn. It's a prophetic message nonetheless, but it is a hymn. And Zechariah's hymn is one of the most powerful hymns in the entire New Testament. I mean, let's, let's face it. His precursor, his prelude, if you will, starts off the coolest story uh, as far as the birth narrative because it's got the shepherds, right? And you know, I like the Bubba the Shepherd story, but in this point, it's right before the shepherd story. It's what we get all excited about. We create a nativity scene for here at the church. We can't wait to jump into Luke chapter 2 to see again the manger, the baby, the shepherds, the angels dancing in the night sky. But Luke forces us to pause before we get there. And just before Zechariah's song, everyone was asking a question we don't ask a lot in Advent. What's going on here? What does this really all mean? And Zechariah's song is in part an answer to that question. Zechariah weaves a, a rich tapestry of biblical images, including God's own covenant or chesed with Abraham. He includes in his hymn the exodus from Egypt, the stories of King David, as well as rich imagery like the rising sun from heaven and the path of peace. Now the story in Luke chapter 2 is beautiful. But we don't really get ready for the visit of the Christ child until we take a cue from Luke and pause. Because we've got to think about John the Baptist for just a second. This whole thing is devoted towards John the Baptist, if you hadn't figured that out. Luke chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 puts John the Baptist as he strides out into the Judean desert to prepare the way for the adult Jesus Christ. It's obviously a little out of place for Advent. Luke 3 text disturbs the flow. But Luke 1 marks John's birth and it fits the birth narrative. 
So let's talk a little bit about Zechariah before we get into that. I don't think we talk about him enough, actually. Talked a little bit about him in Sunday school, but he was the father of John the Baptist. Like very many of the Hebrew Bible characters, he was an aged priest. And also, like those Hebrew Bible figures, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were childless. We are told that Elizabeth was a relative, that's what it says in there, of Mary, meaning that she was a part of the same kinship group as Mary. History or Christianity always puts it as she's Mary's sister, but really she's most likely a part of the same clan, meaning they were a part of the same 12 tribes of Israel, and in this case, definitely from the house of Aaron, the priestly tribe of Levites. Oh, and did I forget to mention that before he sings his hymn, he is struck mute? He's not allowed to speak until this moment. It says once when he was serving as priest before God and he was chosen to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense, which means that he was able to go into the Holy of Holies. Kind of a big deal. The angel Gabriel had appeared to announce to him that Elizabeth would finally have a child. Who would be the fulfillment of the word promised by the word from Malachi. And that the prophet Elijah would return before the great and terrible day of the Lord. To turn the hearts of parents and children to each other. And just like every other Hebrew Bible prophet, he was a little skeptical. He and Abraham, like, I mean, he and Elizabeth were like Abraham and Sarah. And so many before them. And they were kind of, as he said it. They're too old to have kids. So the way that the New Testament text puts it is, Gabriel lost it a bit, pointed his angelic clicker at Zechariah, and hit the mute button. And he doesn't get to talk until the very end of Luke chapter 1, where he sings a hymn, just saying. But not just a song, it's a prophetic song. Even more, it's a song of the Holy Spirit. Luke's narrative makes the point over and over again that it's about the births of John and Jesus was of the Holy Spirit. The phrase translated when he says, he spoke this prophecy. It's, it's not enough. It's not a, it's not a good Translation. It's inelegant. It's inexact to what it really means in Greek, which means more like he prophesied, saying. So here's Zechariah, the high priest, prophesying. Do you understand how big of a deal this is? When you know the word of God is coming through you enough to say something on behalf of God, it takes a lot of courage. But it's not a prophecy as if it was something that was to come, but more like it was a speech-filled event, a spirit-filled moment, a moment of God's Holy Spirit breaking into the ordinary, mundane world and bringing with it God's preferred and promised future. That spirit-breaking-in reality is what the entirety of the whole Jesus event was about, according to Luke. And it should be missed that the prophesying of the old man Zechariah 
the old woman Elizabeth and the young woman Mary and the prenatally prophesying John were all fulfillments of what the prophet Joel had uttered according to the gospel writer of Luke. It might sound familiar to you. You've heard it before spoken by the same writer when he quoted Joel and said these words. I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female slaves. In those days I will pour out my spirit. theology of Zechariah's song is elegant. It's the perfect conversation about peace. It brings us comfort in the midst of this knowing that even in the midst of that, we too can be like Zechariah and see the presence of God so much so that we're struck mute and have no words to say except knowing that God is in the midst of it. We can find peace in those places. And then to have that moment where Zechariah realizes that this son that he and Elizabeth are going to have is going to be the prophet of the Most High. When he says in his own song, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. By the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. Darkness and the shadow of death to guide feet into the way of peace. I wish you could see Bethlehem. I wish you could have this image in your head the way that it was for me when I was there. You know, you're surrounded by mountains on all sides and all of these buildings and things that nature, but there really is nothing like a sunrise in that country. And, and to have that moment, to re- imagine what it would be like that very first Christmas morning, when dawn was da- when morning was dawning, and you know you can feel the warmth of the sun on your face, and all of a sudden you start to feel like today is going to be a different day. To have that moment, to feel that tender mercy of our God break into the darkness of this world for all, we can experience it every time, no matter where we are in the world. To feel the presence of God overcoming the darkness of it. I think the part that's hard for us is that we have to remember that that light still shines in the darkness of our souls. And no matter what we do, the darkness can't overcome it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.